0: Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. For this episode, I had a conversation this morning with former Congressman David Young, who is running again for Congress in Iowa's third congressional district against uh, U.S. Representative Cindy Axne, who uh, beat him in 2018. So this is a rematch, and he we talk about a variety of issues, and he explains why Iowans should uh, vote to send him back to D.C. for a third term. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Congressman Young. Uh, David, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. It's great to be with you, Shane.
1: And I'm so fully caffeinated.
0: You are. Yeah, I got, I've got. i got my... I've actually not been drinking coffee that much lately. I've been on a, kind of a tea kick. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. Hopefully that There's is... There's still caffeine know, there. I'm still caffeine caffeinated, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, but be, one question I'm, i want to start asking elected officials and and people who are running for office uh, you know beyond running for congress like you know you've you've been out of dc for the last two years
1: what do you yep. what have you been doing
0: Correct. other than running for office
1: well like everybody else uh, since march trying to figure out how to just adapt as normal as we can anyone can uh, with covid 19 and so you know, I got, I've been able to spend a lot more time with my, my family and see some friends and people that I got to know over the last, um, you know, those first four years of serving in the Congress. And um, so just being home, just doing stuff that islands do. Yeah. Um, seeing movies, going to church, um, getting out uh, in the country. Tried to do a little fishing, but that was a little difficult. Um with the schedule this year yeah but i like you know i'm from van meter and so i'm a small town guy um i went to Johnston high school and drake university and so i just like to be with people so, so if you're from van... you have that opportunity you do it
0: so if you're from van meter I, I assume you open enrolled to johnston
1: so born and raised in van meter when i was a sophomore in high school my mom and dad decided to move uh to johnston it was closer to my dad's work in downtown Des Moines, so that commute that he'd been doing for, you know, 15 years, got a little old, I guess. And so went to Johnston High School, graduated from Johnston, when it was a lot smaller, about 125 kids in a class. Yeah. Yep. And what then he- uh, after that, went to uh, Buena Vista for a year, and then Drake University.
0: What year did you graduate, Johnston?
1: 1986, and uh, okay. you know, a good friend of mine, Robert Kramer, as you, who you probably know, who I was in a primary with at one time, my best friend in high school at Johnston. We went to church together, played basketball together, and were practically neighbors, and so
0: cool. he's a I, good guy. Yeah, uh, I'm a li- just a few years behind you. I graduated in 90, but I uh, knew a lot of the wrestlers at Johnston. We actually did some okay. joint practices on occasion. Uh, So anyway, I'm sure sure listeners aren't interested in that, but I could go on and on about that. But uh, so, you know, another question I realized, I I, I just need to start asking people, uh, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do when you got time off?
1: Well, I like to read. Um, My brother has really been getting into family history and can go back seven generations and so that's, that's kind of been fascinating. I've got some wonderful nieces and nephews that I try to catch up with here and there. And, you know, as they get older and into college, uh, uncles become less important, <laughs> but, uh, but I know they love me and I love them, but I'm right. very proud of them and, uh, being with my family and, you know, kind of, you know, going around to some different churches, seeing what's out there, um, strong faith community here in Iowa, all, you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a big part of my life, my faith. And that's, you know, I was a uh, group in a Methodist church in Van Meter, although my grandfather was a, a preacher, Evangelical United Brethren, (EUB), He built mm-hmm. a church in Laurel, mm-hmm. just south of Marshalltown. and uh, But I got saved at a Methodist church camp in Warren County, Wesley Woods, Oh, near, uh, yeah, yep. Lake of Kwabi. Yeah, yeah,
0: south of the Mhm.
1: Yep, yep. And so just uh, keeping the faith as best as I can. Thank the good Lord for the grace and mercy he shows us all.
0: Yeah, amen. Well, I want to shift gears down to some, you know, a little more serious questions here. So uh you've criticized Congresswoman Axne about her use of a proxy vote. Um, Democrats have countered, because I've, I've gotten uh, this feedback from from some Democrats on Twitter, uh, they'll say that she did this because Iowa seen seeing a spike in COVID nineteen cases, and it'd be irresponsible for her to go back to D.C. and fly. And you know, so since the proxy vote's allowed, she's doing that uh, in order to be responsible. How would you respond to that?
1: Well, I would just say this is the first time in the history of our republic, and in Iowa, that uh, uh, another member of Congress stood on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives from a, another district and state and, and uh, cast the vote for an Iowan. And, uh, you know, she was able to be in D.C. a week before the proxy votes and then a week after the proxy votes and then earlier in the year and then just recently. And, um, and you know, I think you should have a pretty good excuse as to why you can't get there and cast the vote. Abby Finkenauer made it. Dave Lobsack made it. Joni Ernst made it. Steve King made it. Chuck Grassley made it. And let me tell you, Shane, and you know this, you know, Iowans don't have a choice whether or not they can proxy in their, their job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to stock the shelves at, at Hy-Vee and Fairway. Um, they're in the meat packing plants. They're going to the hospitals to check in and do their nursing and, and doctoring. And so Iowans, you know, put themselves at risk in many ways by showing up to work and doing the job for their families and so this is unprecedented and not only was she doing the proxying but she wouldn't tell us you know you know really why she couldn't get there i mean she used the excuse of uh the covid 19 issue but she was there a week before and then a week after what was so different during these times and so you know in iowa if you don't show up to work uh, usually you don't last too long if you don't have a really, really good excuse. And so right. it, it resonated. And when you, we had some, the debate, um, you know, when she was explaining why she wasn't showing up to work and proxying the vote away and outsourcing it, you know, it, it's affected her. It, it's really got the base riled up. Uh, and then a lot of independents as well were just really wondering about this. And so it's, it's um, you know, she doesn't show up to work. And then uh, when she does, I think her her votes and her velocity hurts Islands. Okay.
0: Um, Yeah, having been outside of DC and and just a point
1: a point to make that in four years I never missed a vote. Okay. And I made sure that the you know I got there uh, you know a night ahead to make sure that if the the plane was late or there was a storm, you know you got to forecast these things with your travels. And so, yeah, you know when Islands hire you, they expect you to show up to work, and that's what I did.
0: Okay. Um, being outside of DC for two years now, is there anything that you're gonna you would do differently should Iowans send you back for a third term?
1: Well, just keep working harder, and uh, you know, find those areas where you can have, uh, you know, not every issue you're going to get a touchdown on right away. You can get three yards in a cloud of dust down the field, and I think we can do that. Healthcare is, is such an important issue, and I want to be, you know, bipartisan approaches on both sides. Uh, people are demanding that we quit politicizing this, and it's been politicized on both ends and just roll up our sleeves and get the job done. Um, you know, the Affordable Care Act, the markets have disappeared. Premiums are high, deductibles high. Uh, people have lost access to their doctors, lost their insurance. Uh, are there some things on there in the Affordable Care Act that uh, we can live with and that we all support? Sure, especially protecting people with the pre-existing conditions. Um, giving that leeway uh, for parents to have their kids uh, on their employer plan up to the age of 26. Uh, but I want to see um, some changes to it. First and foremost, keep the protections for pre-existing conditions. That's always been my goal. And when we had the Republican bill, uh, I introduced an amendment on that uh, to make sure that those protections were there. But if you look at the ACA, Shane, there's a there's 44,000 Iowans who are on the ACA's individual market. Mm-hmm. Now, when people hear about Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act, everybody thinks uh, it, it affects them. But it really doesn't if you have an employer plan or if you're a veteran or if you have a plan with the state government or federal government, something like that. So those 44,000 Iowans on the ACA individual market, uh, the help that they get is from the subsidy that goes to the insurance company first. I want to see the subsidy go straight to the person. Okay. Why should it go straight to the insurance company Give it right to the person who's on the the individual ACA market. Empower them with their healthcare dollars. And when you own that and have ownership, you're going to make better decisions. Be also more of a savvy consumer with your healthcare and more demanding uh, from providers. And with the providers, we need to demand price transparency. I don't know anybody out there, left or right, Democrat, Republican, you know, urban or rural, who who doesn't want to know what the price of um, the service that they're getting is before they pay for it. I mean, we see that everywhere in everything we buy. We go in, we know what the price is, we purchase it, and so we need that in in healthcare. And that's an issue that I want to want to help tackle. I want to make sure that we keep this economy going. We have to uh, keep taxes low. My opponent campaigned on repealing the. 2017 tax cuts. Now she's changing her mind a little here, and so I don't know which thing the acts need to believe, but I know for two and a half years she wanted to gut it, and that would raise taxes on on workers and get rid of the – it would cut in half the child tax credit. Uh, I want to keep oversight of veterans and, and deal with spending. We have to deal with spending.
0: Yep, I I I'm gonna get we're gonna get into that in just a little bit here on spending, and I can cross off my health care question because <laughs> you addressed okay. that. Yeah, uh, but I want to interject with another question here. Um, Axie has a reputation for being friendly to small business, and as a small business owner and understanding of these their issues, what do you have to offer small businesses that she doesn't?
1: Well, I don't know where this reputation came from because by her advocating to. Uh, repealed the 2017 tax cuts, she's raising taxes on small businesses. I got the endorsement of the National Federation of Independent Businesses. The small business owners support me. Now, she puts this this out there that she voted for the CARES Act, which delivers funding for small businesses through the PPP program. Great. They need it. Uh, But that doesn't mean that you're lockstep uh, in line for for small businesses. Uh, That's a fallacy. She's not. She wants to raise taxes on them. She, she came out of state government as a, as a regulator over at the DNR. Um, she's not for for um, for small – she may say she is, but her actions don't match it up, and mine do. I've got the endorsement of the small business community, okay. and she got the endorsement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, uh, and she can have Boeing, and she can have Exxon, and she can have Bank of America, uh, Those those kind of folks i got the small businesses.
0: Well, I, frankly, with the direction the, the chamber is going, I, I'm not sure I'd want that endorsement if I were running for office. No, they
1: want to. You're exactly right. And they want to, you know, when it, they don't want immigration reform because they want to exploit labor. Um, and so I'm glad to have the support of the small businesses and the Iowa Farm Bureau as well. And, uh, you know, farms are, are small businesses, those smaller ag retailers as well. Our rural communities um, that would likely not exist so much if there wasn't farming.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned spending, and I want to drill down on that. Leadership in both parties have been going the wrong direction on debt, and and you know other issues. Um, how would you balance getting along with leadership and other members and gaining influence with uh, challenging status, status quo?
1: Well, uh, you, you do what Iowans do, and you do, do what Iowa does, and you advocate for balanced budgets. You know, forty-nine states, by state statute or state constitutional amendment, you got to balance the budgets. Uh, Vermont is the the one outlier, FYI, just for your information. Okay. Uh, and families they need to balance their budgets, and so we need to do that in Washington D.C. And every two years, it seems like there's a budget deal, and maybe it sequesters or spends. In the, the beginning years, then the out years it bends the curb with projected cuts and revenue coming in, but every two years the new Congress comes along and they they do something different, and so nothing really lasts and is is glued together, and so that's why uh, you have to have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution. I think that's the only way that you can really be bound uh, with fiscal discipline, and it may produce some pain, um, but I think you're going to have more pain. Uh, with the trajectory that we're going right now with, what are we, up to $24 trillion? I don't yeah. know what the latest number is, but but you know, when o- Obama came in, it was $9 trillion in debt. He left office, we were about $18 trillion, and someone said to me, uh, a, a Republican, I said, look at what Obama did, and I said, wait a minute, we had a Congress. This has happened under both presidents yeah. who were Republicans and Democrats in both Congresses republican and democrat everybody is both sides are complicit and um you know one of the reasons why i wanted to get on the appropriations committee which i did was to you know bring fiscal discipline and that is to start out with zero-based budgeting a few of our bills were zero-based budget not enough of them are Uh, i didn't vote for every appropriations bill even though i was on the committee much to the consternation of uh, the speaker of the house and uh, the committee chair but it, it's the third district's vote, and I know that they don't like bloated spending and all these omnibus bills um, and automatic you know, increases in spending in every department or agency. And so balanced budget amendment, I think, is the way to go. Or you find your way to uh, giving the president a line-item veto.
0: Okay. All right, so – what have you done and what will you do to advance the pro-life agenda um, in office?
1: Well, we always made sure that on the on the appropriations committee that the Hyde language was always there and which says no taxpayer dollars for abortions. Um, as well, making sure that, you know, when the votes came up and bills came out, co-sponsoring them and pushing and voting for them, whether it be, uh, you know, banning partial birth abortions or abortions after 20 weeks and whatever could come along, and also funds for international planning organizations to make sure that they didn't use any of those funds uh, for abortions. And so whenever there's an opportunity to uh, vote and make sure that there are protections for life, uh, I was there. And I'm proud of my my pro-life stance because I don't know if you watched the first debate, I clarified very clearly that I believe life is a gift from God, and He's the giver and taker of life.
0: Yeah. So, um, how will you? I guess you know, beyond just voting for it, are you planning on? Would you write, submit bills? Do you, you know, sponsor bills, um, champion it? How, you well, know, what would that look like? Yeah.
1: So I've I've co-sponsored uh, many bills, uh, pro-life bills. Um, you've got members of Congress who kind of. I wouldn't say they own those bills, but there's an expectation that they're the leaders on a lot of the the issues uh, that the life community supports. And so you, you grant them that you defer to them because they're more senior and they've, they've got more credibility and name recognition on introducing those bills. And, and uh, I always had no problem being an early co-sponsor of those and making sure that in the appropriations committee, making sure I always ask the clerk uh, of each subcommittee that, the hide language is in here, correct? And they say, yep, it is. Okay.
0: All right. So and also,
1: you know, encouraging adoption of the, these kind of things. And, you know, the left talks about science and, you know, we should do a science-based approach. And the more we look at science, the more we're finding out that um, about life and uh, how er- early it starts and how early that, you know, we can detect those, those signs that this is a human being. This is not just a mass of tissue.
0: Okay, similar question. Um, What have you done and what will you do to protect religious liberty?
1: Very important to me. And one of the issues that came up uh, a few years ago had to do with our military chaplains being bound uh, from being able to, to, to really counsel in a biblical sense and and make sure that they could do their job and you know we have a a freedom of speech in this country and a long history of our judeo-christian values and so uh when i heard about that um you know working with other colleagues you know we set out to correct this Uh, i hope it's it's still the same way where where those chaplains can still be able to to speak freely uh, to those who come to them for for support Um, I think when we do trade deals, I've had conversations about this, but one of the things I think when we do trade deals, we should set forth not just economic goals, but goals as well in terms of making sure that other countries have religious freedom, other countries have an agenda to tackle human trafficking, uh, that they have free and open presses, that they have the right for freedom of speech, which would include many of our religious institutions, allow them not to be gagged. Those kind of things. I think as Republicans, uh, we should stand tall on the issue of human rights and religious freedom. Uh, you know, we we talk a lot about it, but why not interject that into our international goals as well in our trade agreements?
0: Yeah, I was wondering. You think uh, kind of a related question just came to. Uh, uh, do you think we are doing enough when when we're uh, especially thinking of China? Are we doing enough related to their? persecuting the Uyghurs as well as, as, as other, you know, Christians and other Muslim minorities?
1: You know, we can, we found about out what they, we've, what they've done, correct? And, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't highlight these things and try to bring them to the table, then um, we have no credibility really anywhere. What's really disturbing to me is the role that the United Nations has in their you know, security councils and human rights councils and how countries who find themselves to be the biggest abusers of human rights and against religious freedom find themselves in these positions where they're, they're, they're the, on those councils, you know, China, Russia, maybe a, a, some of the countries in the Middle East who had not been necessarily champions of human rights and religious freedom. And I, I'm all about you know, using economic power as leverage to drive good behavior, and just like the president uh, had said that you know, we're, maybe we're not going to fund the World Health Organization unless come, they become more objective and less political and less biased towards other countries like they were with China. But we should use the power of our purse and uh, also shame our allies into joining us uh, to, to show force against other countries and highlighting these and stopping them.
0: Okay, shifting gears. You know we have but, got a.
1: Oh, go ahead. You know, and and also I want to make note that we've got the immigration issue out there. It's very important to address that, but also the refugees and asylees issue. It should be totally separate from just the, the usual immigration kind of conversations and, and laws that we have, because, you know, we are that bright and shining city on the hill, and those who come out and escape such horrible totalitarian regimes and persecution, and human rights violations they want to come here. And so I, I was on the refugee caucus and I would plan on getting on that again, making sure that, you know, we have a sustainable number and I don't know, always, always know what that number is to, to bring in refugees and asylees and welcome them to freedom. And, you know, here in Iowa, we've got such a great history and record on that, especially with Robert Ray, our former governor, when you had all those issues in the Southeast Asia and, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of that heritage.
0: Okay, um, shifting gears back home. Uh, just a couple more questions. What do you think a federal role in school choice in the school choice conversation should look like?
1: Good question. Because you know, as a Republican and somebody who you know believes in the 50 different laboratories our states have in, in solving problems. I want to see you know the education issues at at the most local level, and so I want to devolve power from the U.S. Department of Education back to the states, and even you know states may not always get it right, and give more power to districts. And so I want to see school choice. I do, and so I, I ask myself, do I really want a federal role in this, and what would that be? Um, and maybe it would be just a, a policy a statement policy and strategy to uh, allow any child in America to have the choice and that that family to have the choice to where that child uh, can go to school and be educated. And, you know, they don't really only have one shot to raise that kid and and get their kids educated. And so, so that statement of philosophy and strategy, but not dictated at the federal level, and, and uh, if anything, I guess there would be funding at the federal level too. But there's more spending as well, and we're trying to get out of that. But mm. I think you know these these kids have one shot. What would a federal role be? Uh, is is one I go back and forth on because I want to see it happen, school choice, but I don't want to enlarge uh, that the footprint at the federal level. Okay, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, think, that makes I, sense. I mean, that makes sense. You're, colleges, you're you're yeah. wrestling with it, and that's uh, you know I'm glad. Thank you for you know just kind of thinking out loud um that was good so uh, just also want to ask you about the COVID-19 relief package um if we ever get another one what should that look like should the federal government bail out states and municipalities
1: well they shouldn't be bailing out states and municipalities for the debt they had before COVID-19 because of just horrible practices uh and in their management and spending of their budgets but if there were any uh funds that were directly related and you can show uh related to COVID-19 um then I'd be open to that but not just alone. I would want to put some other things on with that like liability protections um for em- employers and small businesses who are trying to do the right thing uh, are there some out there who who may be negligent and not trying to take care and keep customers and their workers safe there may be um but for the most part Everybody out there that I see, and when I go out, uh, I see people trying to take those precautions. So liability protections, because there's ambulance chasers out there, mm-hmm. and they're saying this is a cash cow. Um, you know, I would like to see um, some of those businesses and business owners that I've talked to who didn't qualify for PPP, uh, COVID nineteen still affected, and the shutdown still still affected their livelihood. And so tailoring and really targeting uh, some of this PPP funds to to those those businesses um our healthcare workers certainly on the front lines those that are senior centers uh i would also like to make sure that there's funds in there to chase those therapies and and that vaccine out there to make sure that we're staying ahead of this should it ever happen again but really getting on top of what we have now but you know i think w- w- when we look back shane at, the, at what happened in march and the information that we're given and my dad always told me your best judgment uh, is based on the best information that you have at any given time. Mm-hmm. And the things that we were told back in March and the monumental decisions that were made mm-hmm. at basically all levels of government, um, You know, looking back, were they necessary? Do we go too far? Do we not go far enough in some areas? But I truly believe that this has to be a real learning moment across the board from um, the government's role and I do appreciate the president not dictating this for the whole country, right? He, was, he said we'll be here as a force multiplier when it comes to getting the necessary funds and personal protective equipment to where it needs to go. Uh, but, but states, governors, you are, you know, you are the decision maker on this. So I really appreciate that about the president and how he, you know, paid attention to federalism there, and that was very important.
0: Okay. Uh, I know we're about out of time, so just one one last question. Or just actually, just, just share with us your 30-second your, uh, elevator speech. Why should we vote for you?
1: I love this country, and I'm all about service. And this is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so in terms of life, uh, I want to make sure that people know that – I'm pro-life, and I believe God is the giver and taker of life. And while we're here, the government's role is to get out of the way but make sure people's constitutional rights are protected. I want people to have more of the hard-earned dollars that they make. I trust families. I want to make sure that they have those opportunities out there and that their liberties are intact. The federal government's sole role, I believe, has really two roles. One, to protect our Americans and her people from enemies, both foreign and domestic, and to ensure their constitutional rights and liberties. And then thirdly, the pursuit of happiness. Shane, I don't believe you're ever going to really be able to enjoy that quality of life and pursue that American dream for you and your family and be able to practice your, and exercise your, your liberties and rights unless you're safe. That means making sure that we have protected borders, a strong military, And that at the local level as well, that we have a strong law enforcement, but an accountable one, and that people feel free and safe to move about uh, within America. And this election chain is more than just Joe Biden, Donald Trump, David Young, Cindy Axne, Teresa Greenfield, or Joni Ernst. This is about whether we're going to remain a republic and be true to our foundation and those um, philosophies. Uh, that our, our founders and framers put in the Constitution, or if we're going to try something else that the left is bringing to us that's never been tried here before, but has been tried everywhere else and failed. And uh, as Benjamin Franklin said, a republic if you can keep it, and so we have to keep
0: this great republic for our future. Thank you. That was a long elevator ride.
1: <laughs> well, it was 48 floors. Okay,
0: all right. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, and and best wishes to you. Uh, Have a great weekend.
1: God bless you, and I'm asking uh, for everybody's support
0: and prayers. God bless. Thanks, Shane. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on, on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you can just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. You can also uh, sign up to or subscribe to listen to us on your favorite podcast app that's better for us and more convenient for you, I believe. And and we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We are on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Blueberry. Still working on Amazon. Uh, Amazon has a new podcast feature. Uh, So I think there's some tweaks we need to make. Uh, I haven't heard back yet. So Uh, hopefully we'll be on that soon if there's a podcast app that we're not on that you would like to see us on uh, drop me a line at shane at caffeinatedthoughts.com and i'll try to make that happen until next time my friends this is shane vanderhart signing off have a great weekend